Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Finnovate podcast. This week, we're talking about Finnovate Europe. Finnovate Europe 2021 is coming up on March 23rd through the 25th. It's a digital event this time around. While we would have loved to be able to come back to Berlin after a successful first show there in 2020, that's right, we were able to sneak it in before everything closed down. Obviously, circumstances being what they are, we are keeping it digital this year. So that can be good news for you if you're not in Central European time and want to tune in. All of the content will be available on demand for you, as well as the networking portal, which will be available around the clock. If you're interested in joining us at that digital event, check out FinnovateEurope.com and use the code FinnovatePodcast, all one word, to save 20% off the cost of your ticket. Today, we're going to recap the best of show winners conversations that we recorded last year shortly on the heels of that event. We'll have four episodes for you to listen to right now just to give you a taste of what was on top of everybody's mind last year and get you thinking about this year's show and who is likely to win best of show this time around. Without further ado, let's go ahead and cut to the first interview. Joining me on the podcast today, we have Thomas Brown, the sales director of WUP. WUP is one of the companies that just won Best of Show at Finnovate Europe 2020 in Berlin. It is actually their third Best of Show at Finnovate Europe in a row. They've completed the hat trick now, which is no small feat. Thomas, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Can you start with just a quick overview of what WUP is all about? Yes, Greg, certainly. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, what WAP here, we're a bunch of people who came from a, not a digital banking startup that got acquired by a large British financial technology company about five years ago. And now we started WAP after that to focus on helping banks to unleash the power of data, especially real-time data, for the ultimate goal to serve customers better. And that's what we want to do. Now, to serve them better, of course, they need to be understood better And Greg, I don't know, I'm 42. Uh, I still remember when personal used to, when banking used to be very personal. So branch managers knew their customers, they knew their life circumstances. Heck, even sometimes they knew even their pet names, right? And now because of the advent of digital banking technology, uh, this has changed. Banking lost that personal touch. Uh, They're using digital banking for transactions. And To put it in one sentence, at WAP here, we want to put that personalization back into banking using, of course, technology. It's something that I think you've been very successful at, at least according to the the Finnovate audience, who obviously enjoys what you're working on. And one of the things that has been really fun for us is to um, you know watch some of those demos. And you do a good job of making them engaging in a way that shows off your technology. And for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, you should check out their videos at finnovate.com slash videos. Uh, starting with the mannequin challenge they used to kick off their demo back in 2017. And the mannequin challenge, I think, may no longer be culturally relevant, but it was a, an engaging way to start. But let's, let's start by talking about the tech behind it, though, because you've come a long way in helping banks to identify their customers' unique characteristics and preferences and, and telling them what to do about them. Why is that individual approach to banking so important? Or to put it you know, in perspective, what you were just talking about, what have we lost when we kind of moved away from that personalization? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know what we lost is is building relationship with customers in in the level which used to be the case. So so knowing what customers need to solve their problems proactively, to predict and forecast certain situations, and be ahead of their time to propose a solution. I think this is what what has has been lost in banking due to you know branches closing down or people not going to branches, but in order to be successful in this, of course, banks needs to understand customers' life events, bigger life events, but also smaller everyday spending habits, which which has effect on everyday banking. And what I think seems to be uh, or have seems to be the case is that banks have been blindly selling products to certain demographics of customers using a kind of a spray and pray technique. Um, and of course, a lot of the banks have moved beyond that, but but this is what we're helping banks to to do that differently or to do something differently uh, to achieve a much better, much meaningful, relevant interaction with customers. And in order for that, for them to do that, 
Of course, mining data for new signals is, is, is extremely important. Uh, they need to get better at using data, using data to turn insights into interactions, and finally, to deliver value to customers. I think that is the point why banks need to do this, to deliver valuable interactions to customers, which help them live a better financial life. Yeah, and I think before we actually got on the call, you were talking about a report that you had read from McKinsey with some really compelling data um, talking about exactly how big the benefits are for banks that engage with this you know, personalization and trying to engage their customers in that way. Can you share that with us? Indeed. I mean, there are numerous research by McKinsey and other companies on, on the actual tangible benefits of using personalization. And of course, uh, one of the most obvious one is, is the actual marketing efficiency. Uh, it could give you a 10 to 20% more efficient marketing strategy. There are cost savings aspect to this as well, of course, because you have a much better targeted proposition, uh, which is hyper-personalized. So you spend less on marketing, but your offers are hitting the right target audience. And of course, there is another side as well, that there's a 10 to 30% uplift sometimes in revenue and retention, which is the real big money of paying for this whole party. Yeah, I mean, revenue and retention, I think, is certainly something which every bank would say, you know, 10 to 30% lift. Yes, sign me up. Um, what, but, but this brings me to an interesting point because, you know, over when you first came to Finnovate in, in 2017, um, your product was called Sales Up. And, and it's kind of shifted now uh, with something that's sort of less directly salesy, less kind of customer-centric in a salesy standpoint, and more of a comprehensive platform that you demoed at Finnovate Europe 2020, you know, there's still a strong sales component there. There's a strong benefit to financial institutions from a marketing standpoint, but you sort of shifted the focus onto really getting to know as much as you can about the customers. Can you talk a little bit about what drove that change and how that evolution came about? Yeah, Greg, that's a very good observation. Indeed, uh, we have gone through this evolution, so to speak, in the company, where we have taken the view that financial institutions need to think much more holistically about the role they play in the lives of their customers. They need to pay attention to financial well-being of their customers. Uh, potentially, there are areas which are not in the, in, in the scope of you know, selling products or pushing banking products to customers, but, but advising them, guiding them on how to lead their financial lives. There are uh, areas in sustainable banking, which is a uh, hotly speaking topic nowadays, how to inform and educate your customers about carbon footprint, how much uh, impact they have on the environment when they go about in their lives, because, of course, you know, every aspect of our life, nearly every aspect of our life, everything we do leaves a financial footprint and the bank has access to that data. And if they can leverage that data smartly, then there are use cases like sustainable banking, which they can do to educate customers better on the topic. So this holistic approach is what we developed in the last few years, and that is what's changed from a sales-driven platform to a much more wider scope of personalization. And we, do, we did that because we have a view that financial institutions are going to move into that, that bigger part of customer's life. It really, I think, gets to one of the fundamental challenges of fintech right now, which is that right, you know, th there's a lot of products which are aimed at banks for where banks are actually the ones who are, would pay for them, but the end user, the customer, is the one who needs to be engaged. And obviously, you're not asking for money from those people; you're asking for time from those people. And balancing the needs of banks and the needs of the end customers is is a really tricky challenge for a lot of companies in fintech. How do you guys look at that problem and look at where that balance should be? Yeah, I mean, it is tricky indeed, Greg. And, and we're hoping to work with, with our partners and clients who have the view that this should be the one and same thing. Hopefully, there are banks out there who understand that if they deliver value to their customers, if they do things to the benefit of their customers, then on the medium long term, this is going to impact their bottom line in a positive way as well. 
That is the ideal scenario. But of course, as you said, there are institutions and organizations where they, they need to meet their quarterly KPIs, they have quarterly targets, and in a lot of banks' governance is, is structured in a way that product departments are still making decisions and they're driving agenda in the banks. And in some cases, this is difficult to align to customer experience or customer satisfaction. So this is a challenge, but we have a view here that, that banking needs to become more embedded in customers' personal lives in all aspects, because banking itself or banking services themselves will become embedded into other experiences in life. And if the banks can do this, um, then they are going to be the leaders in the industry who can who can basically strike out or, or raise out raise uh, out of this this um, industry and be leaders in them. I certainly think there's a growing awareness of exactly what you're talking about here, and I think there's a growing desire among banks to kind of be be on the forefront here and really starting to understand what their customers are doing, what their customers want from them, and it's really heartening to see. Um, we've got a, a, just about a minute left, and I'd like to switch gears and come back to the demo strategy because this is a really fun thing for me to talk about. You know, this is, as I said, your third straight best of show win at Europe, and you, you clearly understand the audience well. Um, and also, it's, it's obvious that you put a lot of effort into thinking about how to do that seven minutes up on stage. Can you talk about the strategy, the thinking that goes on before you actually start your seven minutes up there on the Finnovate stage? Certainly. I mean, if you have not been to Finnovate as a demoing company, you probably don't know how much effort it goes into that seven minutes. It's rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. But other than that, there is a whole big team behind the scenes working on the, the demo script and how we need to visualize certain things and how we need to precisely explain sometimes very, very complicated and complex things in a matter of seconds and focus on the areas which can grab attention from the audience. That is a really hard thing to do. So that is sometimes, as you quoted, uh, Greg, we come up with ideas like the mannequin challenge, which was to showcase how some of the banks have the desire to pause time, to stop time, so they can analyze the behavior of their customers. They can figure out what needs to, needs to be proposed to them or what interaction they need to do with those customers. But unfortunately, what we wanted to highlight in the demo is that the reality is that people will not stop in their lives for banks to analyze them. People will go on about their lives and banks will need to have the technology to be able to do this in real time in an automated way. And this is basically what WAP is about, to help banks to unleash the power of that real-time data and help with those personalized interactions. It, it all hopefully shows in the demos, and, and, and we like to believe that why people voted for WAP as best of show is because it comes through and they understand the point. Yeah, no, certainly. And I think this is one of the things where, and that bell obviously means we're out of time, but just to put some closing thoughts here. A lot of companies come to Finnovate and they think, I want to do something engaging. I want to do something that's a little bit outside the norm. Um, and, and one of the things I think that sets you apart is that you do those things that are engaging, but you do them strategically. You use something like the mannequin challenge, which is silly and frivolous and um, was blowing up the internet a couple of years back. And you use it to, to showcase something, you know, this idea that banks wish that time could stop. And obviously, that's not possible. And so we have to you know, push forward in kind of an ever-changing real-time scenario. But for anybody who's listening, thinking about how they want to structure their own demo, that's, that's the really crucial piece. At least it, it looks like it is to me. The idea that whatever you do has to be done strategically. It has to be done because of a large message you're trying to get across. And if you're able to marry those well, you can have something that's fun and engaging that ultimately ends up supporting and underlining that, that core value proposition. So, uh, well, Thomas, thanks again for joining me on the call. Congrats again on your third best of show. Hopefully, uh, you and the team have had some time to celebrate. And I look forward to seeing you again at, the, at Finnovate the next time around. Thank you, Greg. And thank you for having me.
Joining me on the podcast today, we have another of our Finnovate Europe Best of Show winners, Andrew Budd, CEO and founder of iProve, who won their third Finnovate Europe Best of Show Award in Berlin in 2020. Andrew also was recognized by the Queen and got a CBE, Commander in the Order of the British Empire, which is an extremely high honor for anybody, let alone a startup founder. Um, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, can you start by just giving people who haven't seen your videos from Finnovate events uh, what iProve is? all about. Hi, thanks. Yes, Greg. So uh, at iProof, we authenticate remote users uh, online uh, simply, effortlessly, but also incredibly securely, no matter what uh, device there are or platform they're on, whatever its brand. Uh, we are securing people's identities worldwide. It's really interesting to see the technology. And just like all these best of show winners, I would encourage anybody listening to check out the videos at finnovate.com slash video to see the demo and really see how it works for yourself. From my standpoint, it's been really exciting to watch your technology unfold over the past couple of years. Um, obviously, what you're doing is resonating in the industry. Um, and, and I think one of the cool things uh, that we that we like to see, you know, you came first to Finnovate in 2017. Um, and how have things evolved for you since that time, you know, in those last three years? So Finnovate 2017 was very much our debut. It was the first time that we were, we'd been seen in public. At that time, the concept of genuine presence assurance, making sure that a user is real and not a spoof, was a very new and very unfamiliar concept to the market. So after that debut in 2017, we just won a whole set of prizes, uh, whether it was the UK National Cyber Security Centre Prize, whether it was the City, City Technology for Integrity Challenge, whether it was the inclusion in the Cynet 16. Uh, so that was great. And then by the time we came back in 2018 to win Best of Show that year, we then just started winning contracts. And by 2019, uh, we had deployed worldwide. And, uh, and by 20, we were, we believe, uh, the largest provider of genuine presence assurance in the world. So one of the things that I think is really fascinating about this, and there's a lesson here for other innovators who are looking to follow in your footsteps, as you were winning these prizes and getting this recognition, one of the crucial things I think you guys did a really good job of was continuing to push forward on the technology side and, and refusing to rest on what you had already accomplished, recognizing that obviously it's great to get these, these awards, get this attention, but that it's not enough, that you need to keep moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about how you were able to kind of balance that and, and make that a priority in that moment where you're starting to get a lot of widespread recognition? So we're playing a long game, Greg, because uh, our ambition is to authenticate and protect the identities of billions of people worldwide. And you don't do that by in one giant leap uh, or by hoping. You have to get there in a step-by-step -step way. Um, you have to you have to acquire the first reference customers. You have to prove yourself on a certain scale, and you have to step up in a scale, and so on and so forth. So each one of these successes that we have. Uh, uh, so with such effort, one has been a stepping stone on a path that we are plotting forward. It's a great relief when we do it. It's a great satisfaction. It's great energy for the team. But we certainly it certainly doesn't give us an excuse um, to sit back and kind of go, now we've done it. This concept that a, a bright that a bright star burns briefly is not for us. Uh, we have a whole, and we're up against a lot of bad guys who have a lot of resources and we have to continuously keep innovating um, to stay ahead of them. Well, I think especially in the cybersecurity field, as you mentioned, there's always going to be innovation on the part of bad actors and fraudsters. And combating that is really something which requires this ever-present idea that you have to be building, you have to try and stay ahead of them, you have to at the very least keep up with them. And so obviously that is something that shifts a lot as you will continue to unfold. Now, one other piece that really struck me watching your demo in 2020 is looking at the evolution of the customer experience that you guys have built. Not to say that it was bad in 2017, but by 2020, what we saw on stage in Berlin was a really polished, really easy to use type of security feature, which obviously doesn't sacrifice anything on the security side. That's really crucial. But Talk to me a little bit about how you guys think of that consumer experience and, and how you've been able to kind of grow and, and make that experience better over the last couple of years. 
So you've got to remember, I, uh, Greg, I don't come from the cybersecurity world. I come from the mobile industry. I was a 20-year veteran of the mobile industry. Latterly, I've been building uh, – latterly, I led the world's largest mobile content distribution and billing business. And the one thing that you learn in the mobile business is that customer experience and the creation of an effortless customer experience is absolutely crucial, that every extra action you ask the customer for reduces conversion rates by 25%. So the customer experience lay at the very, has lain at the very heart of iProof right from the word go. Um, we simply didn't accept this misnomer, this balance, this, this trade-off between customer experience and security. Our whole ethic is based upon delivering high quality in both. Now, when we launched we thought we'd done the best possible job. But you know, once you've done 3 million users in, 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 in many continents, you get feedback on a more and more and more detailed level, which tells you how to refine every last detail to make the user experience better, not on the basis of your own intuition, but on the basis of endless feedback from customers. And you can refine those details bit by bit to make it better and better and better based on experience. So what we're seeing right now then isn't so much a shift in your priorities. It's just a, that you've been able to collect this experience, this data that have allowed you to make it something that's further along than it than was possible for you to make in uh, 2017, 2018. Um, and, and I think this is one of those things which is really crucial, again, for any innovators or any startup founders listening. You know, those, those little details, those pieces that Andrew's talking about um, that allow it to look so effortless when you're on stage in a Finnovate environment so much work and so much intentionality goes into that on the back end, which um, I always think is fascinating to to hear those stories. But it's it's been really interesting to watch. And, and again, I would encourage you to, to go watch those videos. Look at 2017, look at the 2020 version. You can also look at the 2018, 2019 demos as well and really see this evolution. But where they are on stage it, in 2020 in Berlin was really impressive to see. Um, now, now, switching gears a little bit, um, I had a conversation uh, with Julie Moon from our research team, and she was quoting some research that you guys had done around the subject of deep fakes, which is a fascinating topic, potentially really terrifying topic. Um, but some of the uh, statistics that you guys had released in some of the research that you had done were really quite scary, talking about how few banks in the UK had plans in place to combat it. And, and there's actually a fairly alarming number who hadn't even heard the term deep fakes. But I think it would be good to talk a little bit more about you know, how you guys are viewing that threat. You know, where is that threat coming from and what you're doing to combat it? So we have regarded deep fakes as the principal threat to face verification, face authentication for uh, many for many years, two, two or three years. I've been talking about it uh, in private and in public for quite some time. Uh, even from the foundation of iProof, uh, we believe that the principal threat to face verification would be um, fake videos. We just thought that they were going to use movie quality CGI, which also produces similarly good output, but is much more expensive. The thing about deepfake is it's made it much cheaper, much easier, much more accessible. So in a world in which your face is a public credential, a, a, a deepfake is a really dangerous thing because it's completely indistinguishable from most other technologies. iProof has been designed to detect it. Our FlashMark technology, which uses the screen of the device to illuminate the user in an unpredictable way with a sequence of colors, we think is today the only method worldwide that can reliably detect and defend against deepfakes. That won't always be the case. We continue to invest in R&D. We have a continuous monitoring and management system that looks ceaselessly for deepfake-like attacks. And when, not if, when one succeeds, we will detect it, we will respond to it, and we will heal against it. And that's a function of our business system, not just of our technology. And I think this comes back to a point you were making earlier about the continual evolution of the threats that financial institutions can face. And I think deepfakes is one that a lot of people in the industry look at and say, this is a problem that is coming. You know, it hasn't been as big or as well publicized as some of the other more you know, immediate threats in the space right now. But if you're paying attention and you're watching the way that fintech has opened the doors for uh, online account opening, you know, voice authentication, face authentication. This looks like something which 
is potentially one of those big challenges coming into the industry down the road. And it's great to see and hear that you guys are actively looking at it, actively on top of it, and that it's been something that's been top of your mind already now for a couple of years. So um, one piece that I think would be really important, which we haven't talked about at all, is the role of regulators and, and how regulators can help, what they can do that might actually be detrimental to this security idea that we need to protect against. What's your view on the role of regulators in this environment and what we need to be successful? So regulators, I think, have an incredibly important role. One reason why um, this technology is moving is because regulators are clamping down and demanding higher standards of identity protection and consumer protection. That's good for consumers, um, but it also and it creates a, a desire and it creates an incentive for change amongst the large financial institutions. So it's a, regulators can and are being a tremendous change agent and a driver for innovation. The challenge comes when uh, regulators are uh, backward looking in the regulations that they put together. In a number of countries in Europe, regulators today still insist upon a technology that was known five or six years ago to be obsolete and insecure. So regulation, if it doesn't move and doesn't stay up to date and look forward, can actually be a a break-on and a barrier to innovation and can actually um, act to diminish consumer and uh, systemic um, uh, uh, safety and, and uh, stability. So I think the regulators have an absolutely pivotal role and a responsibility to drive change forward rather than hold it back. And here's hoping that they embrace that challenge, are able to find that right balance, because I absolutely agree that it's something which is really vital for the industry. And we need to make sure that there, there, are, there are certain things that only regulators are really in a position to be able to do. And as an industry, we need to make sure they're able to do that, that they understand what those challenges are and um, that, that they really embrace that, because I, I think it is something which you see the difference in different regions, you know, the way regulators in Europe operate versus the way regulators in the U.S. operate versus Asia or any other region you might consider going to. Well, Andrew, uh, that is the sound that we are out of time on this podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Again, I would encourage anybody listening to check out any of their demo videos. Uh, they're very strong from a technology standpoint. They're also really strong from a demo strategy standpoint in terms of getting everything out there in seven minutes. Well worth the watch. And I look forward to seeing what happens next as you guys continue to evolve and continue to push the envelope. Thank you very much indeed, Greg. And we look forward to future Finnovates. They're a great event. We are continuing our series looking at the best of show winners at Finnovate Europe 2020, which was in Berlin. Today, we're going to be speaking with Dorsum. If you haven't looked at their technology yet, I thoroughly recommend that you check them out. They've won best of show at three Finnovate Europe events. They also won at Finnovate Middle East in Dubai. And joining me today, we have Eko Salai and Gregory Jorba from their team. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. So to start, I think just give everybody kind of a quick introduction of what Dorsum is all about. Yeah, so Dorsum is an investment software company based in Budapest, Hungary. We deliver investment software solutions for financial institutions such as BNP Paribas, Raiffeisen, or OTP Bank. The company has a strong presence in the CE region, and we have offices in Romania and Bulgaria with some 300 employees in total, and we are close to celebrating our 25th anniversary next year. So we pride ourselves in providing professional investment business know-how along with our state-of-the-art software. It's a really interesting technology platform that you have been able to build. And as I mentioned at the outset, you've won Best of Show now at many of our events. And for anybody who's interested, you can kind of go back into finnovate.com slash videos and look at the progression, the evolution of their technology over the last four years and see you know, how they've been able to grow. Um, obviously, you know, third Best of Show in, in four years at Finnovate Europe is really impressive. And it's clear that you guys are doing something that resonates with a lot of people in the industry. Engaging with customers as individuals is something that you believe is very important. It's also something that is obviously attractive to people who are in the fintech space and our audiences in particular. Can you talk a little bit about why you think the personalization that you're able to offer is something that seems so appealing to so many right now? Yeah, well, in the world of uh, Amazon and Facebook, we believe that personalized content is a must-have feature for our providers because everyone is getting personalized deals everywhere in today's world. And uh, these big techs that I have just mentioned uh, have a head start because they have built their business models around collecting data and they are really quickly responding to customer needs. 
And clearly, brands benefit from providing personalization. The ones that create personalized experiences by um, integrating advanced digital technologies for customers are actually seeing revenues increase by 6 to 10%, according to a BCG research. And despite possessing significant customer data, we see that several banks have yet to unlock meaningful level of personalization. We actually have a number for this too. 94% of banks surveyed in the uh, recent digital banking report say that they can currently only deliver basic levels or no personalization at all. So we see that there is still a lot of room to improve here on this level in the financial and banking sector, especially in the investment and uh, wealth management domain. And actually, our communication hub uh, that we introduced at the Berlin Finovate show is all about personalization and giving a personal experience to all of the clients of these uh, financial institutions. Well, I think it's certainly no secret that people are getting a really strong experience from a lot of different places online. You know, the tech players that you mentioned are able to do a lot. And as you say, they were sort of founded with this idea of collecting this data first. But I think there, you know, there's a growing realization of just how far behind the financial industry is in terms of being able to deliver this kind of personal customer experience, being able to use the data that they already have to suit the bank's own goals. Um, and so that's something that I, can, I think we'll continue to see a lot more of. And it's really interesting to hear the way you speak about it and, and how obviously important it is to you. So you know, switching gears a little bit, you know, we, we are able to automate a huge amount of this journey. We're able to bring uh, personal data into a machine that can spit out personalized recommendations. But the way you guys have structured your platform, you obviously think it's important to keep financial advisors in the conversation. Um, instead of letting the process be more automatic. Is there a feeling that you know, at some point customers could get the same value without having a human being on the other end? Or do you think that financial advisor is a really crucial piece of the process? Yeah, well, um, we at Dorsum are, are all about the hybrid model as we have uh, emphasized that on this year's and actually last year's Finnovate also. And yeah, looking at, looking at the world and looking at today's experiences, one would think that 100% automated service is something that people prefer in all of the sectors. But uh, while this may be true when people are buying airline tickets or picking up their meal at a drive through studies have shown time and again that when it comes to investing money, people still prefer the human touch. Um, we all actually have a little data to back that up. Investment knowledge among millennials is still pretty low, with only 18% of those polled have confidence in their own investment savvy, and only 30% will talk with robo-advisor bots. Yeah, so wow. this is mainly what our demo at this year's Finnovate was all about, because our communication hub allows for real-time customer engagement, where advisors and investors can chat or send notification, and even sign paperless documents in a GDPR-compliant authenticated platform. And it has automated features such as an educational chatbot or robo-advisory functions to rebalance a portfolio. But the human advisor is still ever-present and available. And for anyone who thinks that texting and chatting is just for millennials, but let me tell you that my mother-in-law sends me about a dozen stickers uh, and articles on Messenger every day. <laughs> Which I'm sure you're just thrilled about. Who wouldn't yep, want yep, that yep. level of communication from their mother-in-law? But, but it's a good point, right? You know, I think this is, is something which now is beyond just uh, a certain segment of the population. Everybody is, likes to engage in this way. There's something really appealing about it. And financial advisors clearly need to be able to engage their customers in the way that they want to be engaged. How do you see this shifting over the next uh, five or 10 years? Do you see the role of the financial advisor fundamentally changing? Or do you think that it's going to be um, just kind of continuing to give them more and better tools to help them engage their customers better? Yes, well, advisors will have to understand the needs of the next generation who stand to inherit about 30 trillion US dollars from the baby boomers in the coming years. So by 2030, Gen Xers and millennials will control roughly 50% of the global wealth. So the generational differences that come with such a shift are becoming obvious. So the technological revolution brought with it new ways of interacting with the world, which in turn gave way to new outlooks and new expectations. So essentially, the difference between these generations isn't simply age anymore, 
but a psychological divide as well. For example, according to a recent poll, 27% of millennials believe that banks will no longer be the primary financial institution in the future. 77% would switch to a bank offering better service, and 52% would bank with Facebook or another tech giant. And non-surprisingly, nearly 50% of responders chose technology as their favorite investment sector. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's there's not a lot of surprises in there. Although I suppose the numbers are a little bit greater even than than I was sort of expecting, knowing what I know in the industry. So that's that's really interesting. Let's let's talk about data in kind of the other sense, because obviously you guys have accumulated a lot of data on customers. What can you tell us um, about the the customers involved here that that people in the industry might not know? Are there common mistakes that customers are making, or common desires that they have that aren't being met? What we have just started our project working on a profiling engine that is based on this data that our systems have accumulated over the years. And what we are trying to work on is look at the behavior of the investors, look at the behavior of the customers, and try to provide a more personalized data, more personalized recommendations actually to raise the client satisfactions and to see that actually we are trying to help advisors by giving them this data and providing them with this, these personalized recommendations so they can help their customers better. The final product that we are planning to have from this project, we're going to be rolling it out to the advisors to help them with providing better recommendations to clients. And on the long term, we are not just going to look at investment behavior. We are trying to look at other behavior, such as listening to music or what type of sectors they are into. For example, when we were talking before this podcast, Greg actually just said about video games and how much he knows about that and that then he should probably invest in that sector. Right, Greg? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good one to let people have more control, let people invest in something that they're kind of passionate about, that they feel like they know something about. And obviously collecting more data and the project that you guys are embarking on, I think is really interesting because as important as it is for end consumers to know what their financial advisors know and to get information flowing that direction, it's equally important in my view that we have information flowing the other way that people are able to learn what customers want, what they're interested in, and and help tailor those financial uh, pieces for them in that way. So that's something that I think will be really curious to, to hear as you guys are able to get more data there. Now, switching gears to something a little more lighthearted, I know you know the team at WUP really well. I know you both put a lot of effort into your demos at our events. You both won Best of Show, two companies from Hungary uh, winning Best of Show at Innovate Europe. And, and you guys both seem to have, you know, do a good job of getting these kind of interesting elements into your demo, these unusual theatrical elements that still support your core message. Do you feel like you have a little bit of a rivalry with them? You know, do you guys push each other in some ways to do <laughs> better and more interesting demos? Uh, yes, we do, but it's uh, absolutely just a friendly rivalry because fortunately we are not direct rivals in the market as they mainly focus on B2C segments uh, with the, their profiling software solutions while, while we have our B2B uh, front and back office software solutions. And we have a great deal of respect for the girls and guys at WAP and our CEOs are on friendly terms, but uh, we didn't know anything about what they were cooking up for this year and uh, we were honestly rooting for them because it's great to have so many Hungarian companies represented in the sector. And we really hope that the third Hungarian company who frequently presents at Finnovate, Apello, will also win next time. Well, and certainly, you know, Apello doing strong work as well. And, and I think for anybody who, who hasn't seen the video, you should go check it out because there's a really interesting costume that they put together, which is a half and half <laughs> costume, kind of half business, half fun. And it really is half of a suit sewn onto like Bermuda shorts and, uh, and relaxing wear on the other half, which was, I thought, really excellent. How early on did you guys decide on that and commit to that as a, an element you wanted to bring into your demo? Yeah, about a month before the show, actually, because it's always a challenge to come up with something for the show that's memorable, but that doesn't compromise our professionalism. So, so far, we've had a drone fly on stage or animated rabbits loving each other in order to explain compound interest and even live singing and a bit of ABBA last year. 
So this Yeshua element was the result of a real team effort. When brainstorming, we decided that we want to show that our communication hub product is not just for the young millennial generation, but for more experienced investors as well. So how do we show that on stage? We had a suggestion from marketing because they came up with the half and half costume, a serious side representing VIP clients and the fun younger side for new investors. And we were concerned because this could have easily been too foolish or silly for the audience. So we wrote a script that initially downplayed the character. But when we brought in people from other departments to check our rehearsals and to give us unbiased feedback, we found that everyone wanted to see more of this duality. So we did our best to highlight both sides and Akos here did a wonderful job portraying both. So <laughs> any closing words on how you felt? Yeah, well, um, that's actually what the other guys who, who saw our sessions before said that I should just go up there and have fun. And let me tell you, I was pretty nervous before, especially after I had to go in and, you know, shave off half of my beard in the uh, public restroom of the Intercontinental <laughs> Hotel, which was probably one of the most grotesque experiences of my life. And walking through the whole venue with that half beard, people looking at me really, really <laughs> weird. But after we got up there on the stage in the costume and I saw that people are loving the show and after we cr cracked the first joke, they were responding really well. It was just really more easy to, you know, just have fun and, and just play along with it. And I think we all had a lot of fun up there and it was a great experience for all of us. Well, certainly you see a lot of in, unusual things backstage at Finnovate, but I've not been surprised by, you know, like that, seeing you come back with, you know, half beard, half and half clothes, even sunglasses that were split down the middle. Um, <laughs> it is worth uh, checking out the video just to see that costume. But I love the fact that you guys made the decision to commit to it based on data that you went out and got. You weren't sure exactly how much you wanted to go. So you went out, you saw the data, you did some focus group, and you used that data to influence how you ended up doing the demo. That is just so on brand for you guys. I love it. I think that's very... Yeah, that's the way to do it. Right. That's the, that's a smart way to make a decision. So um, we'll leave it there. I appreciate both of you coming on and uh, being a guest on the podcast. Congratulations again on your best of show win. I look forward to see what's coming out from Dorsum going forward. Thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. We are continuing our profiles of the Finnovate Europe Best of Show winners. Today, I'm talking to Sandy Pan Chakraborty, CEO of Senect, one of the companies whose demo won that coveted prize in Berlin back in February. Sandy Pan, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Greg, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So for people who haven't seen your demo video or who weren't able to be with us in Berlin, can you start with just a quick intro on Senect, what you guys are and what you're doing? Sure. So Sonic brings the power of sharing economy to cash logistics and cash distribution. Cash management is a huge problem for the industry, for the retail banks, for the retailers, and also from the consumer point of view. So that's why we have created a location-based matchmaking platform that connects those who wants to withdraw cash in real time with those who wants to deposit cash, which typically could be a local shop owner like a bar or a bakery or a pizzeria or a restaurant. So imagine Uber in the context of cash, that's what Sonect is. So let's start by going straight at the elephant in the room. You know, a lot of people in fintech say things like cash is dead, we are getting away from cash. And it's really fun to say that, but you've built a platform around the idea that, that cash isn't dead, that in fact, it's really a major part of our financial lives and that it needs to be easier to get to deposit. And, and obviously, what you were working on struck a chord with our audience. So at least some of them still believe in cash. Why do you think cash is so important and, and can't be ignored by fintech? Yeah, I, I think... Cash is a neglected space in terms of innovation. But if you look at the numbers, 85% uh, of global consumer payment is still done using cash. And we believe there is a long way to go unless we all live in a cashless uh, world. But since there is not much innovation going in, I see a huge opportunity for fintechs to jump into that to reduce the current term, which is called cost of cash management. And that's massive. It's $300 billion annually globally. I think here's an example where fintech has a bubble that people a lot of times live inside of. If you live inside the fintech bubble, it's really easy to think of cash as being archaic, as being something that we no longer need. But you know, the, the statistics that you said there obviously point a, a very different picture. It's something that is still extremely widely used. If there is a cashless future coming, it's certainly a long way off. 
Are you worried though that cash will at some point become less important? You know, does, does that possibility undercut some of what you're doing? Yeah, we definitely have that in mind. I think the trend is going towards something digital. But as I said, the world is perhaps not ready for that yet. That's why we have three strategic pillars. The first pillar is, of course, to build a network and infrastructure. The second pillar is to grow the user base and adoption. And third pillar is once you have the ecosystem, leverage that and help today's cash users transition into the world of a digital future. So we have various products lined up once we have the ecosystem to relaunch, but we want to make sure we have a handholding of today's cash users into that digital future. So we are the bridge between cash and a digital future. I love that idea. You know, looking at, at cash as a way to engage with people now and give yourself that springboard towards something in the future. Clearly, there is a current need for it. And it sounds like you guys are thinking far enough ahead that you'll be able to see, you know, as the situation starts to shift, as we start to move away from cash as a society, however slowly that might actually happen, you know, being in the position that you're at now, I think will set you up well to take advantage of some of the work that you're doing, even if I, I guess I should say when that reality becomes true. So now, I want to come back to another of the crucial stakeholders in this equation because, you know, on the one hand, it's very easy to imagine this from, you know, an end user who is looking to just acquire cash and making that process easier. But there's another stakeholder here, and that's the merchants, you know, the shops and restaurants that your platform relies on who have to buy in in order to offer the service and, and to allow you guys to scale up. Can you talk a little bit about that group in particular and kind of what the value proposition is for them? Sure. So they have three benefits. The first one, of course, we help them reduce their cash from their till. So they have a huge management effort in terms of collecting, reconciling, and bringing the cash back to the bank. Instead, they sign up on our platform. We show them as virtual ATM. And then once they get rid of their cash, we deposit the same amount into their bank account. So we basically simplify their day-to-day job. That's the first one. Second one, every time they hand out cash, they earn commission. So that's a direct revenue generating uh, from their cash recirculation business. And the third and the most important is this brings additional foot traffic to the store, which converts into upselling opportunity and hence additional revenue for the retailers. I love all three of those. I think that's a really compelling hat trick there. Um, I, I think the first one is really interesting because you know, for people who haven't worked in retail, the idea that you have to at the end of every day you know deposit your cash and and what that looks like. You know, I worked retail briefly. Uh, it feels like a million years ago, and every day we had to walk to the bank and take an envelope full of cash, walk down the street to the bank and deposit that cash. And I think this is something that it's not a massive problem for retail, but to the idea you can get away from that and have it as simple as, you know, you know, I have this extra cash. Instead of having to go to a bank, I can just have somebody come in and take it and I get paid for it, um, I think is, is really cool. I think the other piece that was kind of struck me is, you know, I, I think a lot of people who've been traveling a lot are in this position. You can't find an ATM. You feel like you have to go into a grocery store, or a drugstore, buy, you know, a pack of gum or a, a Coke or something and, and try and get some cash back. But as a user in your situation, you don't actually need to buy anything. It's not something you have to go in and purchase. And you arrange the transaction before you actually get to the store. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's one of the USP of our product. So A, you do not need to purchase anything because this is not like purchase with cash back, which is the standard thing that's out there in the market, which limits you how much you want to withdraw. But in our platform, the limits are different. But the most important there is, you know, in a cash back scenario, you go to a store, ask for $200, and the store might tell you, sorry, I don't have $200. So there is a bit of uncertainty element because as cash is declining, there is the supply side is no longer guaranteed. Whereas in our platform, we guarantee that transaction. So once you request it, we will help you find a store that has that $200. I think that's great. So now what are you seeing from this group of retailers, you know, these shops and restaurants in terms of signups uh, and wanting to get involved? Are you finding them to be pretty willing to, to engage with you? Yeah, on our platform, we have a, it's like a three-sided platform because the retailers, the banks, and the consumers. And so far in our experience, we have seen that retailers do adopt our solutions the quickest because for them, there is no downside because they don't have to pay anything. They only get additional revenue. They have additional foot traffic. So it's only upside for them. And the integration efforts are significantly low 
or even you could just start using a mobile device. So the uptick on the retail segment has been phenomenal in our journey so far. I think that's a really strong sign. You know, one of the things we've seen at Finnovate over the years, a lot of companies who have platforms that rely on retailers, they find it very easy to get somebody who's really local to them, you know, the coffee shop or the sandwich shop that their employees are going to all the time. People in kind of the immediate vicinity of their office building where they have a chance to go in and kind of create this personal connection and you bring them on board. And then it, you, you kind of struggle to scale beyond that because you, you don't have time to engage every merchant in the way that you can the coffee shop you go to every day. Right? You just have a, a different relationship there. So getting over that initial hurdle is something that I think is really crucial. And it's great to hear that you guys are starting to gain traction and, and that some of that traction is occurring organically without your getting too involved with it. So now I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about the one of the underlying pieces of your technology. You know, In the demo, you mentioned that open banking APIs were part of what had allowed you to build this I love to see open banking lead to new innovations. I think a lot of people who are kind of fans of that technology generally are in that same boat. Can you talk a little bit about how open banking has enabled you to build what you've built? Yeah, so if we had to deploy this business model on top of MasterCard and Visa scheme, we couldn't have lowered the current price point. But since we are connected with the bank accounts directly via open banking and PSD2 APIs, which is the standard in Europe now, that allows us to create a price point which is significantly lower than a cashback transactions. And that helped us shape this whole business model around that. I think that's basically exactly the point of open banking, right? It allows people to find these areas where you can do something more efficiently, do something for a lower price and, and find these areas where you know, there, there are opportunities like that to take advantage of. And so for people in Europe who are really comfortable with open banking, oh, maybe that's an overstatement, but at least who know about it, talk about it more, you start to see more of those opportunities. In the United States, where we don't really talk about it as much, I think that's a side of it that people don't really see, but there are a lot of opportunities that come with it. So I, I always like to highlight that when I can. All right, so, so bringing us home here, you know, what's, what's the next step for Synect? What do you think is going to take you forward from here? So we're in an expansion mode right now. We are expanding our business in four to five markets here in Europe this year, but as well as we are launching in Mexico. But our journey is just at the beginning. I want to scale this platform across the world, and that's our, our global ambition. And one of the things in the demo that I thought was really interesting, and, if, and again, if you haven't seen it, you should go check it out, finnovate.com slash videos and, and find the next demo. You can see what I'm talking about. But one of the really interesting pieces of that seven minutes you had was you actually had a pizza delivery guy come on stage and deliver a pizza and also deliver cash at the same time. You don't even have to go into the physical store. You can have the cash come to you. Are you seeing an uptick with that service because a lot of people are confined to their homes right now? I mean, you and I are both housebound at the moment, talking to each other from our, our home offices. Like, are you seeing this become a more popular component of it, given everything that's going on? Yeah, so that's what we're currently you know, pushing more on our side as well. You know, People are in home, locked down, but they still need cash. And, and we want to be the cash provider to them. We bring the ATM directly to your house. I love that idea. And again, it was a really fun part of the demo to see that happen. It's, it's one of those things which you almost don't believe can be real until you start to learn more about the underlying technology and how you can do that securely, how you can make that work for everybody. And I guess at some point, you do have to trust the delivery guy. <laughs> but you guys have systems in place on that side of things as well. So it's really interesting. And again, I would encourage anybody to check out that video. Well, there we are. That is the end of our time for this one. Thank you again, Sandy Pan, for, for joining me. And congrats again on winning Best of Show at Finnovate Europe 2020. Thanks a lot, Greg. Really appreciate it. The Finnovate Podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.